What's good? What's good? It's C. Wood. Back at you again with another hard-hitting episode of Ball About the South with C. Wood. Ball About the South, that sports podcast where it's real sports, real southern flavor. I am Kerry Wood, your host. We call me C. Wood for short. At C. Wood on sports on Twitter and IG is where you can find me. And I definitely want to welcome you in to the latest and greatest of this little podcast of mine. I definitely thank you for coming to Ball About the South with me. Uh, definitely, I would really appreciate you liking, subscribing uh, to the podcast. Make it a part of your daily or weekly rotation of the podcast that you listen to on a regular basis. That would really make me feel good. Uh, let me know what you think about the podcast. Give it a five-star rating if you think that it deserves it. Drop a comment. Let me know what you think about this podcast right here. And I definitely, like I said, it would be greatly appreciated. Anyway, man, <laughs> we got a lot to get into in this the, this episode of Ball About the South. Again, this is going to be much like last my, well, my la- it wasn't actually last week. I think it was about two weeks ago. My last episode, very heavy NBA, and this one's going to be kind of the same thing. We're going to get into some other stuff uh, later in the show, but we're going to start off with the NBA, uh, just kind of looking ahead to what's going to be ahead, what, looking ahead to what we're going to have in the show. We're going to talk some college football a little bit later on. The SEC, two weeks ago, we talked about the SEC going, well, staying with the eight-game schedule and not going to a nine-game schedule with the two new entrants coming in, the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns next um, in the 2024 season. We talked about that. Uh, they dropped the schedule, or at least, you know, not the schedule, but they dropped um, who, who all the teams would be playing. And it was very interesting, man. And we're going to get into that. Going to give you my thoughts on what I think about uh, the schedule being, you know, staying at eight games instead of going to nine. And uh, and to be honest with you, last time we talked, I was kind of saying that I really wanted this thing to to go to nine games. I thought that was the right thing to do. Um, I'm not dropping off of that. I'm not backing off. In a way, I still think... It's probably the right thing to do just because I think that everything should be uniform in college football or whatever. You, you sit there and you see the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and all of those conferences going nine games. I feel like the SEC should as well. kind of changed my tune just a little bit on that because I really like what I saw out of this eight-game schedule. And I think uh, in some ways staying with the eight-game schedule will kind of give you a little more flexibility in scheduling. So we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later in the show. But again, like I said, really the NBA is going to be the main focus here today with the NBA draft coming up here later tonight. I'm recording here on early, early Thursday morning after some huge news. We'll get into that here in just a few minutes. Um just wanted to sit there and kind of touch base with you and let you know what, what's going to be ahead in the show. Not a lot of NFL news going on right now, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, the NFL is going to have its time here <laughs> very soon as we get into um, camps uh, beginning in about a month or so. So we're you know, we're getting all of that 
the NFL is going to have plenty of time on the show, no question about that. So probably not much NFL talk, if any, in this particular episode. So let's get into this NBA thing. And before we get into the draft, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we sat here and, and we've been thinking about trades leading up to it. And that's no, there's, that's nothing different from any other NBA draft, any other year, any other season that you're going to have a lot of trade talk. Teams wanting to move up, teams maybe wanting to move down, teams maybe wanting to unload contracts, um, you know, and and rebuild or reload. And, man, what a trade that we have <laughs> just a few hours ago between the Memphis Grizzlies, the Boston Celtics, and the Washington Wizards. Obviously, two of those teams are in my footprint. The Wizards, after making a huge deal the other day, a Bradley Beal deal. <laughs> uh, they come back and make another huge deal with the Grizzlies and the Celtics. We're going to get into that trade here in just a few minutes, but it's really, really kind of crazy how things work out. It just, it just really is, man, because I really wanted to bring this episode uh, either Tuesday, really Tuesday of this week. Because like I say, I'm, I'm recording on here on Thursday, I really wanted to do this episode Tuesday at the latest yesterday, which would have been Wednesday. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't now. It's just kind of funny how things work out sometimes because uh, I really wanted to uh, wanted to talk about this trade that went down in the wee-wee hours of the night. <laughs> this three, huge three-team deal. But before we get into that, I, I I have to sit here and go back to the NBA Finals for just a couple minutes, man. And it's for for a couple reasons. One, obviously, to congratulate the, the Denver Nuggets on winning their first ever NBA title. I mean that that first that's first and foremost. I and, and I don't know many Nuggets fans. I'm not saying that there are not many Nuggets fans. I'm not <laughs> trying to throw shade or anything like that. Um, I, there are a few that I know on Twitter. But not a not a lot. But my congrats go up to them. And uh, man, what a series! What a what a series! What a playoff run this Denver Nuggets team had. One of the most dominating that I think we've seen. To be honest with you, uh, you know they lost that one game to Miami. They sat there. They swept the Lakers. Uh, and. I mean, they lost those two games to Phoenix, and I mean that really was. <laughs> so they lost four games in this playoff. That's impressive. That's really impressive because it's, it's especially from what we've seen from so many teams. Especially when you sit there, and you go back and you think about that Boston Celtics Miami Heat series, where it seemed like the last two years in the playoffs, the the home team just can't buy buy a win at home. Um, you sit there and think about some of these other these other series that went six, seven games. Uh, very impressive what the Denver Nuggets pulled off here because and it, they just went out and they handled business. And I think that's the best way that I can say it. But the thing is, the other reason I want to bring this thing up this this team is continues to be the Rodney Dangerfield, and those of you don't know don't know who Rodney Dangerfield is. He was a comedian back in the day that 
always talked about he just had no respect. He got no respect from anyone. And that that is what the Denver Nuggets are going through right now. I'm not going to say they they don't they're not getting respect from anyone. But there's a lot of disrespect going on towards Nikola Jokic, the Joker, and this Denver Nuggets basketball team. And it's just, man, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I, I've, we, I'm not, not going to say we haven't seen this type of talk about a team that, you know, won their first NBA title or their first Super Bowl or their first national championship or whatever. I'm sure... You know, if you're a Georgia fan listening to the show, you've probably heard a lot of people talking about the Georgia Bulldogs after they won their title last year. So, oh, can they can they repeat? Oh, well, you know, Alabama had injuries or blah, blah, this or blah, blah, that. Okay, well, this thing with the Denver Nuggets, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, man, uh, it, to me, it's on a different level. In my opinion, and maybe it's just because it's it's fresh. That may be what it is. It's fresh on my mind. But uh, I'm seeing people talking about uh, even toward the Joker, man. Uh, we've always talked about this, the disrespect, that, in my opinion, that he's gotten. It continues. I'm seeing guys on Twitter talking about, well, I mean, let's see what he does next season. Maybe he'll play against a a, a real big man. Comments like that, and I'm sitting there like, now I'm gonna break this tweet down because it, you know, because I was like, well, hold up, man, wait a minute, <laughs> and we're gonna talk about the Miami Heat here in just a couple minutes as well, uh, as they finished their season, which was you know, fantastic in fantastic fashion. I mean, they lost this series, but you have to, you have to tip your hat to the Miami Heat. I mean, you can't. If you don't, then you're not watching the same playoffs that I watched. If you're coming down on them because they lost four games to one to the Nuggets, I'm not sure which playoffs you watched, to be honest with you. Uh, they deserve a lot of credit for getting as far as they did. But I sit there and think about that statement that he didn't play against any real big men. You're not going to find... And Bam out of bio, and look, I, I don't care that he's six seven, six eight, six nine. I don't think he's six seven. I think he's more six eight, six nine, in my opinion. I understand he's not six ten, six eleven, seven foot. I get all of that. I don't care. I I do not care. This dude is still unquestionably one of the best defensive big men in the game. Yes, he's undersized when you're talking about from playing against a seven-footer or whatever uh, the Joker is, okay? No question about it. But you're going to tell me the Bam Adebayo can't defend big guys? I mean, you're sitting there talking about him doing it for five games. We're talking about a whole different matter. But if you're talking about one night, this dude can defend anybody. You're not going to tell me that he can't. He's one of the best defensive bigs in the league. He can step out front. He can uh, stay in front of guards out out out, out on the perimeter. He's, he, he blocks shots. I mean, he does whatever you need him to do. He rebounds. For me, I don't care that he's undersized. Okay, and then you go back to the Lakers series. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I understand that Anthony Davis has had this thing where he doesn't want to be a center. He doesn't want to be the five. He's a four. And obviously, 
more than like in a, more, in most ways he is a four. I'm not gonna sit here and argue with him on that necessarily, but he's still six eleven, man. This dude is still a big, and he's one of the best defensive bigs we've ever seen. Okay, forget that he's one of the best in the league today. He's still one of the best to ever do it, in my opinion. And we're going to sit here and say, oh, he's not a real big? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I mean, seriously. So uh, that's the kind of talk that's going around about the Joker and the Denver Nuggets right now. Oh, Jamal Murray this. And, oh, well, you know, they didn't. Look, they played a seventh seed and a, uh, the fourth seed in, in Phoenix. They played. The, they beat the seventh seed in the Lakers. They beat the fourth seed in the Suns. And then they beat the eighth seed in the Timberwolves to start off the playoffs or whatever. And I'm just sitting there like, so? <laughs> and? I mean, are you going to sit there and tell me? You're going to just pay attention to the number next to the Lakers' name? Do, do you really think that that was the seventh seed? I mean, I understand standings-wise, yes, they were the seventh seed. But I could sit here and make a strong argument, in my opinion, that the Lakers were absolutely one of the three or four best teams in this playoffs. I mean, easily. I I, I still think that if the format was different, where they had a few, ga- few days more rest, you know, they had a couple, you know, between games two and three. If there were three or four days rest instead of just being the every other night type of thing, I think the Lakers probably could have won a couple of games. I'm not saying they would have won the series, but even at that, they were competitive in every game. The Nuggets were just better. They were just better. So I, I just don't get the, dis- the disrespect and the hate thrown at the Nuggets. I, I really don't get it. But anyway, they get my props, man. Uh, I'm giving them their flowers. I usually don't like saying that. I'm not a big <laughs> giving them their flowers or whatever. You know, I get I get the saying and all that, but I give them all the credit in the world. Congrats to the Denver Nuggets, the 2022-23 NBA champions. Now, the Miami Heat, they go down, but uh, the run that they made was incredible just to get to this point. Uh you know, I think Jimmy Butler kind of kind of fizzled out there in this series. He had a really good run there, but tired out, man. And, and a lot of it because he there was a lot on his plate. There was a lot on his plate. Uh, you know, he's really uh, he's a good facilitator when he when he needs to be when he wants to be. But that should not be his main job and that's kind of what he was kind of forced into with the Heat's injuries Tyler Hero not being there they really could have used Tyler Hero earlier in this series they did try to bring him back I'm not really sure why they dressed him up in uh, game five but they did and then I don't know why they didn't play him like they would have you know given a shot but again of course now then again I will say that was a game that they led they led most of the way in game five and kind of let it get away at the end but again, no need to hold your head. Uh, no need to hold your head down. Hold your head up if you're a Miami Heat fan, Miami Heat player, you're in the front office or whatever. Really great run by that team. And now we'll see what they're going to do here in the offseason. Uh, a lot of talk about possibly Dame Lillard 
coming their their way, obviously. But then now I'm hearing that those trade talks of um, uh, maybe not just between them and Miami, but Portland's trade trade talks. Period with uh, Damian Lillard, they're pretty much broken down. So it's looking like Dame. It's going to be staying in Portland for at least another season, which is kind of crazy to sit there and think about that. But <laughs> uh, we'll see. Now, Dame is on the record of saying that he really was not wanting to be a part of a rebuild. So, And so far, the, the, the Blazers have not been able to trade that number three pick either. So it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Again, we're just now getting into Thursday, so we got a long day ahead of us to, to uh, see how things go leading up to the draft, which goes down tonight. Very interesting stuff. Anyway, man, we're going to take my first quick break here. <laughs> we're going to come back. We're going to get in this big-time trade that went down last night between the Wizards, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Boston Celtics. We'll also talk that Bradley, Bradley Beal deal from the Wizards to the Suns. We'll talk uh, a little bit of NBA draft as well when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all, we're back in. Ball About the South continues, and we're going to get into this big, big Woj bomb trade that dropped this morning <laughs> just a few hours ago with the Memphis Grizzlies and the uh, Washington Wizards and Boston Celtics um, big time blockbuster deal Marcus Smart how about that going to the Memphis Grizzlies you have Chris Stapps Porzingis going to the Boston Celtics and you have Tyus Jones and a few picks and going to the Washington Wizards very interesting trade to say the least now I've got mixed feelings on this thing from a Boston Celtics and from the Memphis Grizzlies standpoint. Now, first of all, look, the Wizards are obviously, it's obvious what the Wizards are trying to do here. <laughs> they are in full out, um, I'm not going to call it rebuild mode. To, because to rebuild something, you have to have something already built. <laughs> and let's just be real about it. The only building block, the only piece that the Wizards have really had. And this is no look, this is no disrespect to guys like Kyle Kuzma, um, and of course Porzingis, which who was moving on now to Boston, but it's no disrespect to any of those guys playing on that team. Let's just be real about it. This team is 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 uh they've been down for a long time now. Uh since you know several years since the John Wall days or whatever. Where they did make some playoff appearances and everything, but we're we're long ways past that for the Washington Wizards, and so it's kind of hard for me to say that they're rebuilding when they really don't have a whole lot built up. So, but anyway, we'll call it a rebuild. Okay, so they're they're in complete uh, whatever mode you want to call it. They're starting over. They're hitting the reset button, and they did so with the Bradley Beal trade. Um, that was crazy this past Sunday, and that's kind of how you know this NBA draft can work sometimes, or the, the NBA off NBA off season can work sometimes. Though the news comes fast and hard, man. I, I was looking at being uh, uh, this 
particular episode being labeled, I don't know, the Wizard's Big Bill <laughs> or something like that. And that being the focus story of this uh, particular episode. But yeah, here we are just three, three days later and they have made another huge deal. And so, and this one I think takes a little bit of precedent over that because of the teams that are involved with this deal. Um, you know, that's again, that bill move to Phoenix was a huge thing. I'm not really sure how that's going to work. Just really quick about that one, how that's going to work in Phoenix. I'm, I like the move of, you know, them getting billed and they were able to keep DeAndre Aiden. But for me, for Phoenix, that was not their problem. Guard play and shooting was not their issue. For, for me, their issue was size and defense and, and, um, what they had coming off the bench or lack thereof. I mean, their bench, this was not a very deep team. That team was gutted with that Kevin Durant deal. So bringing in Bradley Beal to me doesn't push the needle very high, in my opinion. This really doesn't. Um, you know, the Chris Paul thing, we'll talk about that for a quick minute here, just a few minutes. But, um, I'm, you know, Phoenix, I think, is obviously going to be a really good basketball team and all of that. But did that push the needle where they're going to be better than Denver? I don't think so. So maybe there's some more coming from the Suns. We'll see. But getting back to Washington, getting rid of Beal obviously has been a, a rumor here for the last several seasons. We wondered when it was going to happen. We wondered, you know, when would Beal just really try to force his way out or anything like that. He had never done that. Uh, really good dude and all of that. So I think, um, but I just think the Washington Wizards should have gotten a little bit more fun for him. But apparently they couldn't. I'm sure that they they put out the feelers uh, as much as they possibly could. I'm sure that they tested the market as much as they could. And then, unfortunately, this is probably the best deal they could get, just bringing in a few second-round picks, Landry Shamit, obviously Chris Paul, but Chris Paul is not going to be a part of the Washington Wizards very long. We all know that. He's going to be moving on somewhere else. So this is a complete reset for the Wizards. From the Boston Celtics standpoint, I love, I really like the addition of Chris Stapps Porzingis. Uh, obviously, the big deal with him is can he stay healthy, but if he can, you see where they're going with this. They're going with size. Uh, they're, you know, I can absolutely see the benefits of having him in a lineup with Robert Williams uh, playing the four. I can off, you know, Robert Williams being the rim protector or he being the rim protector. Either one doesn't matter. Both of them are good at it. Um, I think you can also see, of course, him being the five in some lineups with and then, of course, teaming him up with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown makes a lot of sense, in my opinion. It just really does. The part about it that makes that gives me mixed feelings is Marcus Smart, who is who we've always felt was the heart and soul of that basketball team. Moving on, I think it's going to be a little bit harder. He's going to be a little bit harder to replace than some people might think. Now, some of the things that. Uh, he does like you know. I think he falls in love with those jumpers a little bit too much. Uh, they're not gonna miss that as much, maybe, but just the toughness, his voice in the locker room, things of that nature. I think, man, I just I just think people 
<laughs> really over underestimate that kind of stuff and how important that type of thing is and, and, uh, to win the title. I think you can sit there and look at a team like Denver right now. Coaching, uh, leadership-wise, they're there for that reason. And I think that Boston, while they definitely can use an upgrade in the front court, I agree. Losing Marcus Smart might be a little bit too much for them, man. We'll see how that works out. And then, of course, the other side of this deal, Marcus Smart heading over to Memphis. Now, I love the move from Memphis as far as bringing in a guy like Marcus Smart who absolutely fits their mold. He fits their brand through and through. This dude is grit. Uh, he's 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 all about the grind. Everything Memphis has been about for all of these years, at least recent memory, Marcus Smart is all of that. The biggest problem I have, though, is losing Tyus Jones. And you're talking about the best backup in the game, in the league. I don't know if it's even arguable to to a certain extent. Losing Tyus Jones could be really big, and that obviously is going to be magnified a little bit more with the fact that John Moran has been suspended for 25 games. That announcement came down last week. Obviously, uh, if you listen to my episodes here in the past, I thought the, uh, the, uh, the suspension would be 25 to 30 games. And that's exactly what they came up with. Some people think that that's not enough. Some you have the NBA, the the Players Association really kind of coming down on the NBA and, and they're not happy with the decision. I think they're more not happy with it from a financial standpoint as far as like him not being able to uh, be able to go for the max contracts anymore because he's, he's not going to be able to, he's not going to be eligible for the all NBA teams and things of that nature. I think that is their angle on this. But um, for me, I think it's just right because when you sit there and you look at it, these 25 games, yes, okay, you you could have said 30 or 40 maybe or whatever and not been looked at as being too harsh, possibly. But when you sit there and you look at it, not only from the financial standpoint, you sit there and you think about this dude could lose upwards of $50 million or more not being able to make all NBA teams, not being able to get that super max deal, things of that nature, and then that in addition to just the money that he's gonna make he's gonna miss on a game by game basis, it's huge. But then the other part of that, there's stipulations for him to keep this at twenty five games. It could turn out if he doesn't do uh live up to the conditions that Adam Silver and the NBA came up with him came up with him came up for him um it's possible that the suspension could be more than 25 games he's got to do what he's got to do to get back on the court in that in that amount of time so i think when you sit there and look at it this punishment is completely fair and i'm fine with it so but the the question i have is now you know now you don't have tyus jones to to keep things you know to hold down the fort while Jaws out on that suspension. I mean, yeah, I mean, Marcus Smart can jump into that role to a degree, but I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. 
So I, that's where I have my question marks about this deal. Other than, other than that, I think it's a great deal for Memphis. You can sit there and think about Marcus Smart being the guy that kind of replaces Dylan Brooks. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, uh, I saw a tweet this morning saying Dylan Brooks is what he, the, the Grizzlies are getting what Dylan Brooks thought he was. And I think that's a, <laughs> a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I think that is, uh, I think that's a perfect opinion. No question. So, We'll just have to see how this thing goes. Uh, we'll see if the Grizzlies are done dealing. Maybe maybe there's something else coming down from the Grizzlies. We'll see if there's something else from the Celtics. Um, a lot of trades still out there being discussed. Obviously, this Damian Lillard thing is not going away. Well, I think maybe it is going now. It is now because it was reported yesterday that it's looking like Portland is not going to um, deal Damian Lillard and a lot of that hinges on what Portland does with the number three pick tonight and all of that we'll see how that goes um, we were told that he was not in, interested in a, in a rebuild in Portland so we'll see how that goes man it's going to be interesting the Chris Paul side of this thing Chris Paul being dealt from the Phoenix Suns um, obviously the the usual suspects are being mentioned for his service the Lakers, the Clippers. Gonna be very interesting to see where he ends up. I can I mean I just if you're the Clippers, man, I just don't see how you do that. <laughs> how do you bring this dude back? I, I, I don't see it. I, I I get it from the standpoint that yeah, they probably do need my point guard to, you know, to run that show, but I don't know, man. It just kind of looks like the dude, with, you know, that's going back to the girlfriend that, you know, that they never really did the things that they never got married or they never, <laughs> things never did blossom in their relationship the way uh, they thought that it should have. And then you go back and try to rekindle something that really isn't there. That's kind of what that gives me vibes of. I don't know. I'm just not feeling that move. I think Chris Paul going to the Lakers, obviously that would be crazy thinking about the NBA denying him going to the Lakers several years ago and for him to actually end up back there, that would be insane. But I think that would make more sense to me than him going to the Clippers. That's just me, though. That's just me. Uh, so, yeah, man, a lot going on in the NBA today. Let's just uh, put it like that. And I'm sure there are going to be some more deals that come down. Maybe a deal with Zion Williamson. It's possible. I don't I don't think it's going to happen. But that possibility is out there. We're going to talk about that. And we'll talk about a little bit more of the draft when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all. We're back in Ball About the South. And... We're going to get Zion Williamson in just for a few minutes and we'll talk a little bit about a few of the picks coming up in the draft coming up later on tonight. Obviously, we uh, get into my next episode. We'll talk about teams, um, how they did in the draft and everything, some of the top players, especially some of the players from the SEC um, and other conferences around the South or whatever. We'll talk about that, but 
this Zion Williamson thing is really starting to heat up again. Um, a couple seasons, well, I say it was at least last year, maybe a couple years ago, I, I mentioned, no, it had to be last year, that um, in an episode that I would definitely, if I were the Hornets uh, front office, I would not actively shop. I would not actively shop Zion Williamson. Now, while I would not have actively shopped him, I would then say I would not have answered the phone if a team called about his, you know, his availability. My stance remains the same on that. Um, but definitely the meter has <laughs> definitely ticked a little bit further towards our trading. Okay. Uh, again, a lot of talk going around about that, and this, I think it's very kind of uh, kind of probably split down the middle on what people would do about this thing. Uh, Williamson, again, you sit there and you look at it. One season where he played 61 games. Other than that, he's only played 117 games total in his career in four seasons. Obviously, one of those seasons he missed the entire season. Uh, when you sit there and you look at the talent of this guy, which is immense, I mean, we all know that his explosiveness. But the longer he goes, and I understand he's only what twenty-three years old right now, so we some somewhere in that range, maybe you know, twenty-two, maybe I don't know. He's definitely not older than twenty-three or twenty-four. And you sit there and you look at that. I get, I get all of that. See, when the explosiveness is there, no question about it. But as time wears on, especially when you know he has the hamstring injury, we'll see how that. Hopefully, he'll be able to fully recover from that. Um, you know, he had the foot injury last year, and you wonder, just wonder, man, all these things adding up. Will that take some of that explosiveness away at some point, a little bit earlier than you would really expect? So, I don't blame the Hornets, man, for sitting here talking about trading Zion Williamson. I, I just don't. Not to say that they would do it. Now, when you sit there talking about trading him for a pick, you know, like, you know, saying like Portland trading the third pick to, to New Orleans for him or, or Charlotte trading the number two pick. No, I'm not talking about trading a pick now. No. Not do, not doing that. Not starting over as far as that goes. I, if you're gonna, if I'm gonna trade Zion Williamson, you're giving me someone that I can put back in that starting lineup. If he's not an All-Star caliber player, he he better be close. And and then you better be giving me a couple draft picks or something in addition. But apparently the, the um, Pelicans have not found anything like that if they're really actively shopping. Again, I don't think they're actively shopping. I just think that they're listening to offers. But that's what it would take for me. I mean, I don't want anyone to get it twisted what I'm saying. I would, you know, it would, you would have to come up with a package for me to do this trade. Because when you sit there and look at it, when, when he was available this season, Pelicans were right there in the Western Conference. They wanted, if they weren't the best team or you know the, the the highest in the standings, they were the second highest, pretty much all season. So we know the potential is there if he ever gets on the floor. 
But that's the thing. And, 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 you know, I keep hearing people saying that from a New Orleans perspective. It's like, man, well, you just got to keep, you got to be patient. And I, and I get that. The, the Sixers were patient to a degree with Joel Embiid. To me, this is a little bit different. This team has a lot of pieces, man. This is a really good basketball team besides Zion Williamson. Remember, <laughs> this team won a playoff series a couple seasons ago without Zion Williamson. They got to the playoffs. I mean, Zion Williamson was a part of them getting to the playoffs, yes. But they won that series without Zion Williamson. So it's not the Sixers were in complete rebuild tank mode and all of that while while Joel Embiid was overcoming his injuries. Totally different situation. I heard a couple of people bringing that that bringing that scenario up or bringing that uh, that they were it was a similar situation and it's similar. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the same thing. This New Orleans Pelicans team. I mean, you got to think about some injuries that they had with Brandon Ingram. Um, I think you got some some things you need to work out in the backcourt. Uh, you know, C.J. McCollum's a really good ball, really good guard, but you know, you got to get. I, I love I love Alvarado coming off the bench, but you got you got to have that guy. You got to have that floor general. Kyra Lewis Jr. has not been able to be that so far because of injuries for him. You've had so many guards going to come through there or whatever. Um, that part has got to be worked out. But Brandon Ingram, man, is, is is a star. I mean, I don't know if he's a number one option on a finals team or a team that wins a championship. I don't know if he's a number one option, but he definitely can be at least a number two. I mean, I just think that, yeah, you, you, you trade it and you, you sit down, you play it. Uh, uh, cautiously. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you just go out and deal this dude. You get the right deal for him, but I'm not going to sit here and not at least explore trading Zion Williamson. I'm, I'm, I just think that's where the Pelican stance should be right now. I think you just have to be that way. I, if I want my pro, I want my front office. If, like I'm a Houston Rockets fan, man. Look, I want my front office to be proactive because this is a huge sign for New Orleans yeah you can sit there and say oh yeah we'll keep Zion Williamson but maybe you get a better maybe you get a deal that brings you something a little better maybe not one player that's better than Zion Williamson obviously that would be difficult to do but maybe you bring in a player that uh, that complements B.I. more or you know that can run the backcourt or and then maybe you add a pick and then boom there you are with, with it like that so anyway it's going to be very interesting to see where the New Orleans Pelicans go with Zion Williamson we'll have to see how it plays out um, talking about draft picks man the draft is tonight and <laughs> uh, obviously the top seed I mean top top seed top pick we all know it's going to be Victor Wimbanyama. It would be very, very, I mean, you're talking about <laughs> uh, jaw-dropping. If they, if any other name is called with that first pick, the, the, that would be it. The draft, pretty much like the NFL draft, starts at pick number two. We all knew Bryce Young was going to be a Carolina Panther 
in the NFL draft. So the NFL draft started at pick two. Same thing here with this draft tonight in the NBA. All signs point to a Brandon Miller. My man, my main man, Brandon Miller, Alabama Crimson Tide, going number two overall to the Charlotte Hornets, which I think is the right call. A lot of there's some people that disagree uh, for a number of reasons. One, I mean the the uh, murder investigation and all of that still lingers over Brandon Miller, uh, even though he has not been charged, and basically he's been, you know. Police have said that he is basically a witness. Okay, so all of that uh, still hangs over him, though, and that's, that's you know you can understand that. Okay, um, there talk about his maybe his lack of athleticism and an ability to finish around the rim. I don't think it's a big deal. <laughs> I don't. I think he's going to get better at that as he gets stronger. I think you saw, uh, if you looked at Alabama like I did, uh, I pretty much watched every game. Um, early in the season, it was an issue to an agree degree, even though he got off to a really quick start, shooting the basketball, scoring, scoring wise, and all of that. It was a little bit of a, an adventure for him to finish at the rim at times. So that is a concern, but I just don't think that's going to be a huge deal because as you saw later in the season he got a lot better at that this dude has handles man and, and you know and the the thing that kind of offsets him finishing at the rim this dude is silky smooth from three now he has a low the biggest thing about his three point or or biggest negative about it he has a low release point that obviously can be a, a concern but Ultimately, this dude shoots the ball around 40, 40% from three-point range or over 40% from three-point three range, which is really insane. Um, he has handles. For me, uh, a lot of people always talk about well, comparing him to Kevin Durant and all that. And there are the comparisons are there. He's not as tall as Kevin Durant, so I think that is uh, one thing that kind of rejects that argument. But the guy, the guy that I see him being is a, maybe a little bit less athletic uh, uh, Paul George or Paul George with less athleticism that's what I see out of Brandon Miller and I think that he can be a lockdown defender in, this, in the NBA once he really gets acclimated I really think that he can be a lockdown defender much like Paul George has tended to be in a lot of his career I, I like Brandon Miller. I, I, again, I obviously I'm an Alabama fan. I have to throw that out there. But I think he is definitely worthy of being the second best player in this draft. Now, the other player that could be called at number two, Scoot Henderson. This dude is something else as well. Uh, this dude finishes. He has no problems <laughs> finishing at the rim. This dude's a point guard. He's about 6'5 or so, somewhere in that range. He can finish with the best of them at the rim. The concern with him is the three-point shot. It's not that he can't shoot it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of his weakness. He can get to any point on the floor that he wants to. Uh, a lot of people, you know, talking about him, well, playing in the G League and whatever and all of that. I would love to have seen him play in college. I'm a I'm big-time proponent for college basketball anyway. I would love to have seen that happen, but I'm not going to sit there and 
come down on this kid for not playing in the in, in the NCAA. Um, if he's the number two pick, I don't think that's a bad necessarily a bad pick for Charlotte. But my thing is, if you pick Scoot Henderson, are you going to team him up with Lamelo Ball in the backcourt? So you know, I just that just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you're talking about two guys that were probably going to be ball dominant type guys. Uh, Lamelo Ball obviously is is a guy that facilitates very well. We all know that. I think Scoot Henderson could be the same as well. But two young guys in that backcourt like that, I just I don't think it's a good recipe when you have a guy. And Brandon Miller that you know that you can put there at your, either at your two spot or at your three spot, more than likely, more than likely your three spot, and and then there you go, and then you can still have Lamelo Ball. Um, I, I just I, I just think Brandon Miller makes too much sense at two for the Charlotte Hornets. Now, if it's not them, it would be Portland. We all know about that situation. Dame has said that he did not want to be part of a rebuild in Portland. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. At number four on my Houston Rockets, it's looking like it's going to be a man Thompson. Uh, he's a, uh, the brother of Osnar Thompson. Both of those guys should be picked within the first six or seven picks of this draft tonight. Um, again, so it's a yeah, to me it's a very deep draft. Uh, I think in some ways maybe not as deep as last season. Uh, you know, I think the star power drops off after the third pick. Those for, those top three picks I think are definitely a good step ahead of the rest. But I think it's a deep draft. I think there's going to be a lot of value deep into this draft. And you look at some a guy like Kaysom Wallace, who I'm seeing, you know, the guard out of Kentucky. I'm seeing mocks showing him as low as like outside of the lottery. We all know what Kentucky guards do once they leave Kentucky and come to the NBA. Tyler Hero, <laughs> uh, Shea, SGA, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Even at New York with, um, uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Uh, the, it goes on and on and on, which is one of the reasons I'm one of the Houston Rockets to give Tasha Washington every, every chance that he needs. Kentucky guards, or really Kentucky players, period, come out and they make a play, even if they don't play a minute. <laughs> or just play a few minutes at Kentucky, they come out and get to the NBA and just go and go uh and just go off, period. So I'm not really understanding why Kaysen Wallace is not projected to be a little bit higher in this draft. I'm not I'm really not. And it kinda of makes you wonder why some of these moves, man, that <laughs> some of these GMs make in the NBA. I, I don't know, but um one thing that I'm noticing in these mock drafts is not as much foreign flavor as, as we're usually used to. Not as much, you know, pro- just complete projects, players that we know nothing about uh, from overseas. There's there's some in there, but to me, this doesn't seem to be quite as many as in the past. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you got the Arkansas kids, Nick Smith, Black. Uh, both of those guys, I think, could be lottery picks. 
they probably should be. But I think both of those guys are going to be really good NBA pros. And we talk, you know, talking about some of these SEC players. Noah Clowney is looking to be a top 20, top 25 player uh, called tonight. I'm really, I would love to see him put on a Rockets uniform. That'd be great. <laughs> but uh, I'm seeing the the Brooklyn Nets are uh, are in on him somewhere around the 21st or 22nd pick. I think they have back-to-back picks somewhere in that range. So I'd, I'd love to see him land somewhere like that. I think that'll be a good fit. A lot of talk about the Nets still possibly trying to get Dame Lillard. Uh, man, a lot of interesting stuff going on in the NBA, just to say the least. And uh, tonight should be no different if we get ready for the NBA draft. At any rate, man, we're going to take another quick break. Be right back. And like I said, we're going to get into a little college football. We're going to talk about the SEC schedule coming up in 2024. Very, very exciting, in my opinion. And then also, we'll talk a little, possibly a little conference realignment talk, expansion talk, Memphis Tigers to the Big 12. We'll talk about that when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all, we're back in Ball About the South, and we're going to close out this particular episode with this uh, segment. We're going to get into the SEC. We're going to get into this next uh, 2024 schedule, man, coming up in the SEC. And again, I kind of talked about at the top of the show that, you know, how we talked about the nine-game versus the eight-game schedule last episode. And, you know, obviously playing one less conference game uh, with two extra teams coming in was a big concern because you want to make sure that rivalries are sustained. I mean, you know, I think this is a huge deal. There's no question about it. It's a really, really, really huge deal. Uh, I'm sitting here looking at this thing, man, with, with 2024... I don't think it's as big a deal anymore. <laughs> now, obviously, this is just for 2024. Now, because we, I think what basically what we're looking at here is it, it's gonna it's gonna change a lot after 2024, maybe or maybe after 2025. Anyway, uh, one stipulation for, with the scheduling for 2024 with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. Both those teams would play all the other 14 teams around the league. I mean, not both of them <laughs> would play all 14. Obviously, they couldn't do that, but you know what I'm saying. It, every All 14 teams would either play Texas or Oklahoma, Okay, which I think was a, a great way to do it. And they were able to do that and preserve a lot of the huge rivalries that we love and we've come to love over the years, and I and, and I it, when, when I saw that man, I was like, man, I think this is really great. I just really think it is. I think from a couple of standpoints because one one thing that I've been concerned about with this whole thing with the uh, college football basically maybe going to you know we've had all that talk about them going to four super conferences and. Um, Maybe even going forming the Power Five schools and conferences, forming an alliance of their own, and just leaving behind the Group of Five and the FCS teams or whatever. 
for me, I think staying at this eight-game schedule, um, you can still play a lot of those games. And for me, I'm I'm a person, and we're gonna get into some HBCU talk as well. It, obviously, if we uh, in, in more episodes, we talk we talk HBCU sports here, football especially in the fall on this in this program. So if you're an HBCU fan, definitely tune back in to Ball About the South, Flack, Miac, all that we talk at all here, right, you know, right here on Ball About the South. But uh, so I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna obviously I'm gonna sit there and, and and side with them. And while there are a lot of people that don't like these HBCUs playing the power five teams or whatever, it is a payday for them, man. It, it's it's a payday for them, and not only that, we've seen that the NFL absolutely is just you know continues to ignore players from the HBCU ranks at least as far as drafting them. Now you know, and every year we see a player jump up and make some strides from the HBCU ranks in the NFL, but yet we only see maybe one player drafted. Which is, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So I'm going to sit there and I'm going to continue to uh, speak up for them. For me, these players are the same players. They they play high school <laughs> or whatever against these same guys that are going to Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia or whatever. Why, why would they not want to play them at the next level in college? Even though, no, they didn't get a Power 5 scholarship or whatever or they turn down a power five scholarship to go to an hbcu why shouldn't they get a chance to play them every now and then especially if you have a guy that's really worthy of being drafted i mean i i I don't know why we couldn't see that player being lifted up a little bit more and possibly having a better chance of being drafted because oh man you know what we got him on tape against george he didn't play george 10, 11 times, or a Georgia caliber player. He didn't play an SEC schedule. He didn't play a Big Ten schedule or whatever. But he did play Georgia that day. And guess what? He looked pretty good. Right? So, staying with this eight-game schedule, to me, continues to open that up. I'm just, not, you know, and I, I, I'm for them getting their shot in the, in the spotlight. I'm for them getting those paydays. I just am. So maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's just how I feel about it. So, and of course, we all know how a lot of <laughs> people outside of the SEC feel about the SEC playing these FCS opponents and all of that. And of course, playing them the week before their rivalry games. We all know about that. I still don't understand that argument. When Ohio State plays FCS teams, all these other teams play FCS teams. I don't care that it's early in the season or late in the season. What difference does it make? Okay, I mean, if, if Ohio State was in the SEC, they probably want to sit there and play Youngstown State too before having to play Auburn and then possibly go to the SEC championship game. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, I understand they play Michigan, and of course they go to the Big Ten championship game and all that. I get all of that, but I'm just—I still have never understood what difference that made. Never understood. So I still—I think 
playing the eight games gives them that flexibility. You're going to see these schedules amped up non-conference-wise anyway. Every team in the SEC is required to play a top, uh, top-tier conference team. They're required to do that. And, you know, you sit there and you look at Alabama even before all this was announced. Alabama has top-tier opponents throughout that are scheduled through like 2033 or 34, I want to say. There's a big-time opponent every season. Next season, Alabama travels to Wisconsin. In addition to everything, they travel to Wisconsin and they play at South Florida. Now, again, South Florida is not a top-tier team or anything like that. But it's a road game. They're playing that game in Tampa. So, more than likely where the Buccaneers play. I guess that's where South South Florida plays all their games. I'm not really sure. But, you're talking about, you look at the schedule for Alabama next season, man. And all all we hear is Alabama fans from all these, some of these other fan bases. Alabama don't play nobody. Blah this and blah that. Can't say that next year. You can't say it this year either. Texas comes to Tuscaloosa. You couldn't have said it last year. We went to Texas. Every team in the SEC is doing that. Every one of them. So, you know, you look at this uh, this schedule of Alabama next year, man, at Wisconsin early in the year, South at South Florida. And then you look at the conference slate at Oklahoma, which is, to me, Obviously, it had to happen one way or the other. You want you probably wanted to see Alabama at Oklahoma because we, we, we're seeing Alabama and Texas these two seasons or whatever. So it makes sense for Alabama and Oklahoma to be next year or whatever. Alabama hosts Georgia <laughs> next season, and they go to Tennessee, and they go to LSU, <laughs> and they play Auburn. I mean, it's just going to be insane. It is going to be absolutely insane next year when this thing goes down. And every you sit there and you go through this SEC schedule all the way through it, man, it, 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 it's it's beautiful. It just really is. And I like it because it still opens it up where you can still play a team like. Again, now Al, the, the, my, one of my biggest pet peeves about Alabama, because I'm going to keep it real. As much as I love Alabama, I'm going to sit there and keep it real. We've never played in HBCU. I, I don't. I don't understand it. I have no idea. We have two HBCUs at the FCS level in this in this state, Alabama State and A and M. And Auburn's played both of them multiple times. Alabama has not played one of them a single time. We have other FCS universities in this state, and Alabama has not played one of them. So. I like those money games. I do because it's just—it's just been a part of college football all this time. Why leave those guys out? Okay, so but you look at the schedule, man. It's—it's it's crazy throughout it. So I'm what, what I did. Um, I came up with my top five or six games, but I think it's really going to be six. My top five, six matchups of next year, or at least the top six that I think everyone's going to be really looking forward to. And then I'm going to come out with my top five or six misses, the ones that the games that unfortunately we're going to miss next year. Actually, I think I'll start with the misses. And the thing is, 
while I was kind of compiling this list, the other reason I feel good about this eight-game schedule a lot better than I did, than I thought I was going to feel about it, I found a lot more really good matches. Uh, I found that there were a lot less that we're missing than we're actually getting, if that makes any sense to you. So here's my list, man, and, and uh, of the misses, my top five misses. Bama's not playing either one of the teams. Number five, Alabama's not playing either one of the teams from the state of Mississippi. They're not playing Mississippi State, or they're not, and they're not playing Ole Miss. That is, you know, it's not huge. That's why I have it at kind of at the bottom of this list. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I had to search for games that we would really miss. And those, those were really the two that kind of stuck out for me. Well, I have a third one for, for Alabama that I'll talk about here in just a second. But Alabama not playing Mississippi State, that hasn't happened in a long time. I'm sure it hasn't happened against Ole Miss either. Uh, if you don't know, Mississippi State is only like 90 miles. <laughs> if that, I think it's a little less than 90 miles from Tuscaloosa. Right down Highway 82. So that's kind of a miss. My number four, the number four miss on the list, UT versus UT. Tennessee versus Texas. We're not going to get that game next year. Now, thing about it, we're more than likely to get it in 2025. That's what I'm kind of figuring. I'm not really sure about that, but we're not going to get Texas, Tennessee, the two teams that wear orange or whatever. Uh, I'm not a big orange fan. I don't like the color orange, Tennessee, Auburn. <laughs> now I got another reason in the SEC not to like the color orange. <laughs> you look in my closet, man. I don't have anything orange in there. Nothing. <laughs> and I got a lot of Tennessee fans on on Twitter, on Twitter and everything. No, no, it's no disrespect, man. That is just that's just the rivalry. I mean, I, I I respect the hell out of Tennessee, respect the hell out of all those guys that love the Tennessee Volunteers. I don't have a problem with them. I'm just saying, I don't have nothing orange in my wardrobe, man, nothing. <laughs> okay, so anyway, that I have them four because I think that would be a good little matchup, but I think we're going to get it in 2025, right? Okay, no, 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 number three on my list is Alabama and Texas A&M. No Alabama, Texas A&M next season, which that's kind of kind of a bummer with that. But that's becoming a pretty good rivalry with the with the back and forth between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban and all of that. And, of course, A&M uh, winning that game uh, in 2021 against Alabama there at College Station. So not going to get that game next year. Uh, my number two on my list, South Carolina and Georgia, that kind of, it's not a huge surprise because you know you somewhere you're going to have to make some omissions or whatever. That was the one that kind of stuck out for me with Georgia uh, not playing South Carolina. So I have that one number two on my list. I probably could have switched Bama A&M to number two, either one of those. But I think South Carolina Georgia is a pretty good rivalry that we will not get next season and my number one on my list of the games that we will not get next season LSU and all that one for me is unquestionably the top game that we won't get next season uh, LSU and Auburn has always been an underrated rivalry 
we had the the barn or whatever it was that burned down in Auburn. You had the game where that that thing that was in the nineties, and you had the game where the LSU fans broke the sound barrier there in Baton Rouge against Auburn or whatever, <laughs> something like that. And uh, it's been a huge rivalry over the years. So those were, to be honest with you, those were really the only games that I saw. I, I, this is not even top five. This is really the, the main, maybe only five games that I saw that we would miss coming in the next season. I'm telling you, the the list is a lot longer for the games that I think we're really going to be looking forward to. And I couldn't even fit them into this this five or six. So we're going to go over that. For me, the top games, I'm going to go over just the honorable mention that I came up with, a couple of them. Uh, OU at LSU. I've got that game in honorable mention. If that gives you, (laughs) that tells you how strong this list is. Are you kidding me? Oklahoma at LSU? <laughs> Auburn uh, and, and Auburn. O- Oklahoma at, at LSU and at Auburn. I think those are two huge matchups. And the other biggest honorable, honorable mention is that they were able to keep Tennessee and Georgia for next season. Now, again, there's going to be a season or two, just like with the third Saturday in October with Alabama and Tennessee. There's probably going to be a season or two here and there where you're not going to be able to schedule that Alabama-Tennessee game or that Georgia-Tennessee game or whatever. And the same thing with LSU-Auburn. Just like, but I, I, you know, but I don't think it's going to be very often. I, I really don't. So I think when you sit there, and that's another reason why I kind of changed my tune on this eight-game schedule. They were able to get it in there this season. You can kind of force some of those uh, matchups in there when you need to, even with the eight-game schedule. I, I really so I'm I'm fine with the eight-game schedule. I am. So that's just my honorable mention games. Let's go over my top five. Really, it's going to really be top six. Uh, because I have one of these uh, Georgia playing two games in one of my slots here. Uh, my number five LSU at Florida. Now let me tell you why. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that this would be one of the best games next season. But I just like that they're keeping that game, that matchup. I think that is an underrated rivalry in the SEC as well. I really do. So uh, keeping LSU Florida at least for next year. Again, that's going to be one of those you're not going to see every season, but uh, we've seen it uh, uh, most seasons here for the last, as far as I can remember. So to keep that rivalry, I thought was really good. And number four, and I probably I could have gone higher on the list with this one. Tennessee at Oklahoma. Tennessee at Oklahoma. Just just the fact of Josh Heupel. <laughs> going back to Oklahoma, going back to Norman where he won a national championship and all of that, going back there is huge. I mean, just humongous. That is going to be an incredible, incredible atmosphere there in Norman, Oklahoma uh, for that game next season. At number three, I've got Georgia going to Florida. But, but not uh, Georgia and Florida, rather. I'm sorry. Georgia and Florida going to Texas. Huge matchups. Florida going there uh, is big enough, but then you think about Georgia going to Texas. Oh, man. I mean, come on, man. I mean, seriously. Seriously. 
huge matchup. At number two, I got Bama and OU. Bama at Oklahoma. We knew that would go down because you just couldn't, I couldn't see Alabama playing Texas a third consecutive year. So we knew it was more than likely it was going to be Oklahoma. Bama goes to Norman for the first time since I think that was 2000, 2001, when Alabama lost a close game out there. Dennis Francione was the coach of the Crimson Tide of that game. I remember that game vividly. Alabama had a chance to win it. Uh, Oklahoma was the number one ranked team in the country at that time. Uh, so, Bama going to Oklahoma, that is going to be a monster matchup. And number one, man, it can only be Georgia and Bama. Georgia going to Bama next season, going to Tuscaloosa. It doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> it, it just does not. To have those games on the list is just crazy. And I, I'm telling you, I could go down the list even further and think of some more really, really interesting matchups that I think are going to really push the needle. Oh, I'm really huge on this schedule next year. I can't wait. I, I really can't. Uh, you know, and, uh, for me, I think this thing, seeing it like this, is a sign that the SEC should have gone divisionless like I thought a long time ago. Because we could have had some really good matchups all these years and not had to wait to the SEC championship game to see them if they had done that. And, uh, and, and, and with all of this lining up with, you know, college football playoff going to 12 games next year, I mean 12 teams next year, it's perfect timing. Perfect timing. You can lose. But with schedule like those, <laughs> we're going to see Alabama and Oklahoma and Georgia and Tennessee and all those teams playing. You can, I would, I would say you could probably lose three games and make the playoffs. Forget two. I think you might could lose three games and make the playoff. Oh, uh, man, just crazy. I mean, Alabama has one of the toughest schedules. Georgia, extremely tough schedules. I'm going to have to travel to Alabama and to Texas. But Alabama has to travel to Oklahoma and Tennessee. <laughs> and LSU. <laughs> or... Uh, I mean, incredible, incredible stuff coming up in 2024. Um, real quick, man, I gotta say I was gonna talk just really quick about this expansion. We got the Big 12 expansion and realignment talks amping up a little bit more again, uh, and it centers around the University of Memphis. Now, one thing I do want to mention about the University of Memphis, Penny Hardaway is going to be suspended for the first three games of the upcoming basketball season. Um, tough situation going on there, man. It, it, he just cannot get a break it seems like there in Memphis. He just cannot, whether it's the Imani Bates situation, whether it's, you know, beat writers coming at him and asking him, does he think he's you know, He's in over his head coaching this basketball team and things like this. It's been a rough ride, even though it's been a good ride. This this team, you know, nearly made the Sweet 16 two seasons ago after uh, kind of blowing that game to Gonzaga in the second round, and then they make the NCAA tournament. They win the the, a, the AAC tournament. They get to the uh, Big Dance. 
and um, or did they win the AAC tournament? Uh, but anyway, they, they get to the big dance. Unfortunately, they lost to Florida Atlantic. But Florida Atlantic, all all they did, <laughs> all they did was go to the uh, to the to the national semifinal. That's all they did. <laughs> and now they're going to be uh, in the same conference together. But uh, it's been it's been a roller, roller coaster ride for for Penny Hardaway there. I mean, just wonder how long. Hopefully, he's going. Mean, I, I I think he's done an excellent job there. And I, I'm just not understanding the flack that he's getting there. But anyway, he is suspended for the first three games of the coming season. But there's been a lot of talk about Memphis possibly going to the Big 12. There were Big 12 officials in Memphis touring their facilities and things of that nature uh, a week or two ago. going to be interesting to see how that thing turns out. For me, I think... The Pac-12 probably, if I were, you know, the powers that be in the Pac-12, I would go west for me and then possibly come back east. Uh, with this whole thing with the Pac-12, I still think, I still think eventually Washington and Oregon are going to end up in the Big Ten some kind of way. And that would, if that happens, then it's going to be a free-for-all for those Pac-12 teams that are left. It could be. Or it's either going to be that or the Pac-12 is just not going to be the Pac-12 that we've been used to the last couple of decades or whatever since they became 12 teams. Um, you know, for me, it makes too much sense. The Big 12 bringing back Colorado, bringing in the two Arizona schools and maybe bringing in Utah to add to BYU. I mean, you can, I mean, you get your Holy War back in the Big 12. You bring Colorado back. Uh, and then you add the Arizona schools, then, you know, that puts you at 16. And then if you want to go to 18 or 20, you can still always come back east and get Memphis. I know Memphis's dream is to be in the Big 12 right now. We all know that. So we'll see how it works out. We'll see how it works out. One thing I saw that was really funny, though, man, the Memphis <laughs> fans really... There's some Memphis fans, and again, I know some of them on Twitter as well, and they're really good folks, and for the, for the people that I know on there. But there are a, couple, there are a lot of them that think this, this basketball program is a little bit more than it actually is at this point. Now, again, I, I think Penn is doing an excellent job, but we got people on there talking about, well, uh, if the Big 12, <laughs> if the Big 12 is serious about being a basketball league, there's no way they leave Memphis out. Are you talking about the same Big 12 that Kansas is in that um, they won the national championship two seasons ago? Baylor won the championship three seasons ago. You have uh, Texas Tech was in a national championship game just a few seasons ago. You've got uh, you're bringing in a Houston, which was in a national championship game just a couple years ago. You're bringing in Cincinnati that's been uh, they haven't been as good here lately, but that's a good program. They, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the bottom programs in that league being teams like West Virginia and Oklahoma State right now <laughs> on the basketball side. And they're usually in the NCAA tournament. By the way, looking like Bob Huggins is going to have to resign from his post there at West Virginia. That's another bit of news to have to throw out there. This is really bad. He had the DUI. 
a lot of people in West Virginia would want him gone anyway because of, you know getting too old or whatever. But looking like this is going to be his ending, and that is a sad, sad thing if you ask me. So uh, that is another bit of news. But I mean, who that guy that said that on Twitter? I mean, this wasn't a beat writer, it wasn't a player or whatever. This is just a fan. I'm not really understanding what Big 12 you're looking at if you think the Big 12 <laughs> needs Memphis to be relevant in basketball. I'm not understanding that one at all. But that's kind of how some of the Memphis fans think of their basketball program right now. And which, again, don't get me wrong, there's a proud history, big time proud history. So, And uh, hopefully Penny can uh, help them realize some more of that here in the future. Anyway, man, we're going to close it out with that, uh, those expansion news. And, and I think a lot of that's coming down sooner than later uh, here with college, more college expansion, more realignment and things of that nature. Anyway, again, my name is Kerry Wood. I really appreciate you joining me here on this episode of Ball About the South. Remember to like, subscribe, comment, do all those things. And until next time, man. Be safe, peace out, and enjoy all the ball games you can.